0: This is a really interesting one. You know, a lot of us meet people at networking events or online, and you know, we we want a JV, and I think it's a fantastic way to do business. Uh, although, you know, humans uh, as we are can be very, very irritating and very difficult, but it is a fantastic way to do business, especially if you're starting out. You know, and you have lots of time, um, you're getting the knowledge, but maybe you don't have the money. You know, maybe people aren't going to loan you the money, or maybe. You're doing big deals where, yeah, you can always get someone to loan you any kind of money, but perhaps it's you know it's time for a JV. Um, and a JV doesn't necessarily just mean you know in property. You can joint venture in, in any kind of business, right? It's just like having a business partner. But obviously, in property, you might be per property. So, on today's show, I have a solicitor uh, speaking who's very experienced in litigation and dealing with JV disputes um let's kind of speak about the i don't know the pros and cons of jvs but really we're talking about the good the bad and the ugly and the ugly is ugly uh so if you're considering a jv you've done one before or you're unsure about how to protect yourself Wow, well, this is the episode for you oh also while you're there uh My new book is out. It's out right now on Amazon, on Kindle. And uh, as a physical book, the Audible will be coming soon. Uh, Please grab a copy of it. If you have a copy of it, then please, please go to Amazon and leave a review. Reviews really, really help. I put, I don't even know, 50 hours plus. I have so much time into this book, so much effort, so much love. So please leave me a review on Amazon. I really appreciate it. Alex, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Tej. Great to be here.
0: You are, I, I believe you're the first solicitor. Is that is that the correct legal title?
1: Well, it is my oh. correct legal title. I can't claim to be the first one. <laughs> you're, the, <laughs> you're, the, the, you're the first <laughs>
0: solicitor on the Tedge Talks podcast. Um, wow. And we're talking about some interesting stuff, some fun stuff, you know, uh, joint ventures, uh, how you know lockdown to litigation which is always a bit a a scary word i suppose um but before we kind of get into that and i think what you know i really want to do today is is from a legal perspective and given how much experience you have in doing this is really understand jvs how they go wrong how maybe they go well um and of course go through your experience in dealing with disputes and that and just to kind of protect people and then take it to you know right how does that look in lockdown 2.0? But before we get into that, um, you know, tell me tell us a bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tosh. Um well firstly, you know, Hallowed Ground, the first solicitor on the talk. So yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me um, A bit of background. So I I'm a litigation solicitor, I only deal with disputes, problem solving um particularly in the commercial world and the property world so you know that can be all sorts of of sort of varied aspects might be loans shareholder disputes it it breaks down in lots of different ways but typically my work's dealing with money property or both um i'm a solicitor as we've mentioned i actually trained academically as a barrister um and uh, i've sort of worked in litigation for i mean i think it's 13 something like that years um previously one of the youngest partners in the country um, in an established law firm and I got to 30 and I thought, I can do this, Um, there's a better way. Uh, And so Helix Law is is a firm I own jointly with my business partner and we specialise solely in litigation disputes. Um, And You know, look, we we act in a range of disputes, um, but as I say, we act nationally for the landlords, investors and problems that they come up against. So I'm dealing with a lot of problems for a lot of different people. Um, onshore offshore companies as I say high net worth individuals um, and just people really trying to use property as a as a as a way to I guess improve their return on their money etc cetera, etc cetera. and um, yeah that's what we're all about that's what I do. Mm,
0: interesting okay so let's talk about joint ventures because I think and I, I don't know if your experience is the same but in property it's kind of at least on social media and in, in networking events, it's kind of that thing where, oh, you know what? You're just starting off in property, you got no experience, nothing but loss of time, you read a few books, there's a millionaire sitting across from you, right, take their money and joint venture, whatever that means, and you're both happy. What what does a joint venture really mean to you?
1: Great question. I mean, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the context. You know, I kind of I regularly contribute and comment sort of online and you know, kind of more regular traditional news outlets as well. And I, I kind of, I do see this as almost a little bit of a lead magnet. If we're not careful, you know, it can be a really kind of um, attractive way to draw in both people who, who perhaps um, don't have the assets or the means to get into um, property or those that they don't have the knowledge, etc. cetera, as a, something that can be taught. Um, and I I don't know. I, I, Again, I very much appreciate, I only deal with these situations when they go wrong, okay? And I'm sure a lot of them go very, very well. Um, But when they go wrong, they can go pretty spectacularly wrong, um, which we'll probably come into. But just in terms of a joint venture, if we just start there, you know, what does that actually mean? Um, And in legal terms, I think it might surprise people to, to hear that there is no... Accepted sort of legal relationship as a as a kind of a joint venture in inverted commas um, that doesn't really exist. So in legal terms, we're always whenever someone says, you know, I've been involved in a joint venture and uh, something's gone wrong, the first step is actually to work out what legally the position was, because you can use this term to actually almost define anything, particularly in property, where. You know, we all know training isn't regulated and, and, and sort of all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I sort of, again, it, it can be various forms, Tesh, but, you know, it might be, say people might consider a loan as a joint venture because they're involved in the project. You know, they're giving the money, but they're receiving the time and the knowledge on, on that kind of venture or, or deal, if you like. Um, more typically, I would say a joint venture might amount to, say, a partnership. Um, that could certainly be one element or, or sort of different route, or legally, it could be, um, say, shareholders in an SPV or a special purchase vehicle company, a limited company. Um, and that might be a more typical sort of joint venture. Um, but, but I guess kind of just pausing for breath on that, it, it, it very, very easy to attract and mislead people into thinking that joint venture is an end product. And actually, it's not. And that's, that's really, I think, the key point.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's a a good way to put it. And I think, you know, when I was doing what I would call a joint venture, when I spoke to this solicitor and said, right, you know, write up an agreement. He said, yeah, it's a shareholders agreement. It's not a JV agreement. It's it's a shareholders agreement. Um, So it kind of clarified it there for me as well. And, you know, when it comes to joint ventures, a lot of people will meet someone, you know, pretty, you know, at an event, online, whatever it is, you know, they just met them, they had a chat, same sort of goal, same sort of vision, you know, they get along happy days. And a lot of people will say, hey, why don't we joint venture? You know, why don't we, you know, in, in the case you mentioned their an SPV together. Do you think, you know, especially let's take the example of, of having shares in an SPV together. Do you think it's something that people should take lightly and sort of jump into
1: or... Yeah, I mean, I think you'd probably know the answer to that one, Ted. Straight away, um, I, the, the honest answer is, you know, no. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm very conscious in speaking with you. You know, I, again, I only do deal with these when they go wrong. So I'm not the person that would be drafting your shareholders agreement and taking your example. Um, you know, but I am the person that you might come to uh, uh, if you hit a, a problem, okay, a snag. And I think if we just take a step back you're absolutely right in saying you know the ecosystem that the property investment world it's actually a relatively small world in some ways um and so yeah i mean look building relationships with people via events etc it's not my job to make life more complicated i think there's nothing wrong with that as a starting point um and so it can be done well and it can work um but i think it it's it's key to assess risk okay in in whatever we're doing in whatever the transaction is or or looks like Um, and part of that assessment of risk is here knowing the person that you're dealing with and that's one element of the risk okay so how deeply do you actually know this person that you are you know in commercial terms kind of getting into bed with um and that's one element but then the second element is how best to structure this transaction to really try and provide a safety net for yourself um, as, as an investor you know because everyone in the transaction you've just mentioned is an investor um you're either investing your time your knowledge or your money um and that will normally be the way um but how best to structure that i think is is the key and you know you you obviously took the the proper steps Tej. you know you you you've gone off you've got some advice and your solicitor has advised you in relation to a shareholder and, and that's you know, again, if there's, say, a spectrum of from good to bad to so kind of super ugly, you know, you're, you're obviously at one end of that, which is presumably the good end. You know, you, you've got your advice. You have a degree of safety net. And I suppose, you know, in risk sense or in risk terms, um, that means that you're, you're still left with the commercial risk. OK, the deal can go bad, you can hit brick walls, the, the, you know, all sorts of unforeseen problems. And that's one thing. But that's not necessarily a claim or a dispute or, or sort of that wouldn't necessarily lead to litigation. If it did, then, you know, you've got the rights, the obligations set out in your shareholders. So you've got a degree of protection there. Where I think people can go spectacularly wrong is in not getting that advice or in in kind of being, um, I don't say pushed, but kind of cajoled or encouraged to sort of not make life more complicated. Not get, say, your independent advice um, and not get the necessary structure for whatever the transaction is in place. Um, that's where it becomes much, much more complicated for me or for somebody like me later down the line to unwind and unravel, kind of go back in time what exactly was intended and agreed between everyone. Um, and, and that's what I see actually it quite common, you know, that it's quite normal for JV partners to not have obtained that advice, to have not say entered into that shareholders' agreement. Um, and really I hope one of the messages that it kind of comes across from today is please my goodness do get some advice and by the way not from me (laughs) you know I don't have an angle on that I I don't give um, sort of this sort of advice I only deal with it when it goes wrong Um, but don't be naive in thinking it doesn't go wrong because it does and having had a coffee or met someone at a networking event once a month you know you've got to think to yourself my goodness I'm putting a lot of investment time money knowledge whatever it might be typically money but um, equally time I do recognize into this how am I going to where am I going to be left if, if something goes wrong and that's where things like a shareholders agreement really kick in just unforeseen events uh, uh, to to try and protect those involved here obviously you and um, the other party involved parties so I think that would be the the key kind of message that I would convey on this Um mm. I hope that makes sense
0: definitely and and i really like how you said you know getting in bed with someone commercially because it, it, it's a great way to put it and it's it's kind of you know i suppose it you know when you have a a shareholders agreement and you're partners in a business it's it's basically like a marriage but and and in that sense what so when you let's take that example again of an spv you're both shareholders in the common thing 50/50 you know one person puts in the money one person does all the work split the profit cool that's the kind of accepted general standard I suppose that a lot of property investors go by in that example what is that kind of like when you when you're in that partnership what are the risks like I know it varies it of course varies on what's in the agreement but generally speaking you know is it sort of your house can get repossessed is it that your credit can get affected are there any general risks that you have to be aware of from the second you agree a sort of joint SPV
1: Okay, so just taking that as an example, I mean, I think that this is exactly, you you know, this conversation, we're really highlighting the need for the advice, because it is very much transaction related and relevant. Okay, so it's very much specific to whatever your circumstances actually are in the deal. But what I would say, you know, typically, where say you're dealing with an SPV, it's unlikely that say, if there is a lender involved, and normally there is, it'd be either a purchase lender, or it might be development finance lending, or whatever it might look like, there's going to be some degree of lending at some point, normally. Um, well, in those circumstances, they may well ask for a PG, you know, so actually the purpose of the limited company, the SPV, in those circumstances is not really to um, sort of ring fence money, as it were. It, it doesn't really offer you any any degree of personal protection in, in that way. Um, so you can absolutely have a liability to lenders. And the same might apply to, say, suppliers, depending on what's going on there. Um, but I think the key things here are, you know, where are you left? What are the extent of your losses? Well, you know, you, you're, you're putting your money at risk okay that that i think most people they might accept um but i don't know the extent to which they would say do their due diligence or or kind of have their eyes open to the full extent of these risks you know the, the amount of times that people are prepared to um enter into these sorts of, of sort of arrangements without say having conducted i don't know say a background check on the person that they're um, enter into this SPV with it, it, it's really quite high and it's surprising you know um, you know have you checked the insolvency register has this person again you've met them at networking etc you know you could be their mark for all we know and um, they could have been waiting to meet somebody just like you now you know again of course I'm quite cynical I, I deal with these situations where um, people are you know the again ugly end of the uh, commercial transaction spectrum you know're they're, they're, kind of, they're looking for their next mark if i put it like that and they, they wouldn't even see themselves as doing that but that's how I see it because they're looking for someone who is perhaps you know a little bit commercially naive or ambitious, which I readily accept um, you know a thin line there between the two um, and you may well be that person um, and so you've just got to make sure that you know whatever your personal process is you, you have an idea on in detail who it is you're dealing with and how best to structure whatever is being proposed, um, and th- these things can be carved up in so many different ways. You know, it, 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 If you're purchasing uh, shares in a company and then that company is going to be um, solely for the purpose of, of, say, a development, that's one thing. But again, I see situations where someone might already own an asset in a company and you're purchasing shares. What are the existing liabilities in that company what, what are you buying into you know it could already have liabilities and it doesn't mean that personally you will have any uh, say personal liability necessarily that that's not the risk in that situation but the risk is that the upside say the gdv um it, it just doesn't materialize or that because the company has other debts or other obligations that you're not aware of um, the upside may never be relevant um, or, or available to you even if this um, sort of development is a success there could be kind of historic um, legacy um, elements to this and so you know you've really got to be thinking about this in, in quite a detailed way or fundamentally cutting to the chase you know your money your time is at risk
0: yeah and it all goes back to what we kind of said early on which is the the piece about due diligence you know are our people and I think it, you know when you meet someone, it can be easy to kind of go with that excitement, that ambition. You said, and sort of just, oh yeah, you know, don't worry about the credit check. You know, let's let's just get it set up, and we'll do that later. And then you never do there's it. Minute, and then
1: right? there's, there's there's something to be said for wanting to kind of crack on. You see an opportunity, you want to take that opportunity. Again, I've seen a lot of talk around mindset. You know, challenge these uh, sort of mindsets around being conservative and in, in in thinking in these ways. And I, I again. I can see that some of that could have merit i I'm not here to kind of um you know lay into the the whole industry in that way that that's not my job, and I recognize that um but it it equally you know sometimes can be a red flag to kind of switch off your instinct, particularly if your instinct is don't I need to do something here. This seems too easy or too difficult or too quick you know th- these are very natural thoughts to have when Feeling not not even necessarily railroaded, but just slightly out of control, perhaps in terms of what you're being encouraged to do. I would always say to people, you know, take a step back, get some advice. You know, get get some advice, not even just from lawyers, but also from accountants. You know, how do you exit this deal? Do dividend payments work? What's going to happen to this company? Say the development is a huge success. What's our exit here? What does that look like from a tax perspective? um again, all of that really needs to be covered off, and I know it's dull i really i'm I'm not here telling everyone it's the most exciting thing, but it it's the focus always seems to me and the way it's sold in particular is on on making money, which I get but part of making money is not losing money, and that part seems to me to be completely overlooked you know if you could have the best development in the world, but if you don't structure the entity right you're not actually going to make any money at all because it just won't stack um, when you try and get that money out. And and again, you know, that fits into the financial side, but the same thing applies. You know, if you're entering into an SPV with someone who actually, um, they have other liabilities, they're going to come after their shares. You may well have difficulty refinancing. All of these things can come back to haunt you if you don't sort of tear up correctly at the outset. So It doesn't sound like I'm super negative about JVs. I'm really not. I I hope that kind of comes across, but it's just I see these circumstances and people are kind of kicking themselves, Um, including experienced investors, you know, um, took a punt on this one and didn't work out. You just don't want to be in that position when the amounts at stake can be really, really sizable.
0: And, uh, you know, they say people invest in people, which is, you know, which is obviously true, but, Mm. you know, you could meet someone who fanta- or comes across fantastic and you think they are, but that doesn't mean that you can ignore the deal and just trust that they, you know, have done their due diligence. No, that deal needs to be reviewed by you, by your accountant, by your mentor, by your network, whatever, because it's very easy to be fooled by a person. You know, humans want to believe and trust each other and be positive. And so, you know, like you're saying there, always due diligence. do your due diligence on the deal itself you know, obviously as well as the person now you know you know talking about the the ugly or the very ugly when you said you know someone might be a mark for these kind of people in the property industry you know obviously you hear a lot of talk well, about everything but you hear talk of maybe well-known people or you know trainers or you know whatever who owe a lot of money who are in bankruptcy proceedings etc etc yeah. in in your opinion is it easy for someone to you know build a profile and stand in front of a mansion and rent a ferrari and say look invest in me and for them to get away with it maybe there's two questions there
1: wow i mean yeah i think to be completely frank i think what we're talking about and let's not be too specific for obvious reasons but i think you know in terms of just generally i don't think it's ever been easier to establish a brand and to be visible and to appear on the surface credible. And that applies to any business in any circumstance. You know, you can set up a website for almost no money, start some targeted adverts on Facebook, start punching in some comments in relevant groups, and suddenly, you know, you are the go-to person. Um, and people are very clever at marketing themselves and at positioning themselves in a certain way. Um, and i think it's natural you know there's no uh, that i'm not critical critical of that it, per se um but it's it's on all of us to understand that that is what is going on here and to just look behind the veneer that's all we're saying you know um uh, sort of there's, there's the, we can't be too critical of adverts we can absolutely be critical of ourselves if we go off and then buy, bye bye without really thinking about that and so you know again it, I, this does broadly fall under the people kind of due diligence topic or I suppose headline, which is a, you know, it's a huge subject. Um, but in answer to that, it, you know, your, your sort of question there, that, yeah, I mean, very, very straightforward for someone to establish a brand, very easy for someone to position, position themselves as an expert having maybe done somebody else's course. You know, it's not so long ago that this in itself was actually taught to people, you know, how to position yourself. I'm sure that still goes on. Um, and what they're really doing is, you know, they're, they're sort of, highlighting projects etc positioning themselves as an expert a kind of a guru if you like um in whatever the area might be so that they are an authority figure and at the same time then drawing in people who are looking to basically ride on the back of that wave equally or an equal share and i think you know gain from a JV perspective, we're talking about this almost from the consumer end. Um, the, the same sort of uh, uh, principles that we're talking about broadly apply to much more of the kind of commercial end, people that get into JVs um, much, much more routinely and understand these risks, that you will find they are applying a lot of what we're talking about in checking out the people that they're being asked to deal with um, almost routinely. Whereas I think if you're being kind of pitched or told or encouraged it's almost like this can be your gateway in. Uh, that's how it's sold. That's how I've seen it sold or missold. Um, when actually, you know, that it is often not the case. It can be false promise, um, and that's again where you know if you get yourself a little bit of advice in terms of on the transaction risk, um, that can really be invaluable. Just to kind of encourage you to take that step back to look at whatever is being proposed in a in a more kind of measured way, rather than the emotion of the the sort of Amazing outcome that is going to be achieved together. To to just say, you know, well, hang on a minute, I'm just pressure testing this a little bit. What happens if, um, you know, that in itself, getting some proper independent advice or another view, etc., can just be invaluable. It can save people from getting into bed or being, you know, missold if they have been targeted for want of a better word. Um, uh, yeah. So that, I think they're the only things that you can do, and it's kind of for me, it falls under the bracket of. Keep your eyes open. You know, don't be to allow yourself to be too drawn in. We all love the positivity. I, I you know, and I love the ambition and for some people these transactions can work really well. So I'm not again, um, sort of super negative on the entirety, but I just think it's um, no one understands that people just like you have been pitched uh, via a really sexy ad or, or attendance at a meeting uh, and a really persuasive talker speaker. And it's all come to nothing and they've lost everything. And they're then in the world of litigation having to deal with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And
1: it's Brutal, but it's true. Um,
0: it has to be said, you know, and I, you know, you know, you said there the kind of maybe the pressure test or the what ifs. I know, you know, when I had this um shelter agreement written up, we've got, I don't know how many clauses, but easily 20 plus clauses, which literally say, what if one dies what if one uh, commits a crime and is in jail what if one is incapacitated what if one wants to sell up you know what what if and no one wants to talk about that right but you just gotta sit there look each other in your eyes and say look um what if you know what if you fail to pay me or what if you run off to Marbella and you leave me in the shit you know like you know you have to you just have to have those in and if someone's sort of awkward about it that's normal you know British culture you didn't talk about these things but if they're awkward in a sort of I don't know in a way that feels off then there's something to you know be said there now you know in these cases and again obviously it's so case by case but you know again it's so it's easy to bring people in to build that profile to get people to invest in you on the flip side which is I guess where you come in with the litigation is it generally easy to then get away with it or do you just need one email and that can be evidence and and you can get your money back what's the kind of yeah what's the reality of trying to then get your money back in in a general sense i suppose i
1: think it very much depends on what we're talking about whether or not this is say a loan whether or not this is a partnership whether or not we're talking about shares that's on the, the one side and on the other side what exactly has gone wrong because, again, sometimes that can be quite literally, as you've mentioned, someone has done a bunk to Marbella or wherever it might be, and that's obviously at the very ugly end of joint ventures. In which case, you know, this is effectively we're very close to civil fraud, you know, criminal conduct basically. Um, and so, you know, the due diligence you would hope would pick up on, you know, at least the risk of that happening um, before you're in that position if you do it. Uh, Whereas at the other end, you can obviously have just, I say just, but a failed commercial transaction. You could still do everything absolutely right here. You could enter into a shareholders agreement, et cetera, and it's still not work out in quite the right way. Um, so I, I suppose, you know, for me, I look at that and I think, well, you know, where do you want to be in that in that scenario or any of those scenarios? And you're just really trying to position yourself so that you are, you're trying to catch as many of these unforeseen or unforeseeable events as you possibly can. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned them positioning and positioning is key. You know, you, you say quite rightly, I think, you know, just the, the nervousness and the kind of, you know, it's almost the, the last run rem, remnant of a stiff upper lip, isn't it? But, you know, do we really want to talk about this, but actually, you know, positioning, you will find that commercial people, again, at the, the more sort of serious end of joint ventures of deal-making. They have absolutely no qualms about having these sorts of conversations because A, they know it's important, but also B, they're positioning themselves as a very serious person in the deal, in inverse commerce. And it's, you know, I'm an experienced person. I treat this seriously. That's why it's going to be a success. But in order to get that far, we need to discuss X, Y, and Z. And so you know again i sort of i would say to people don't be nervous about sort of raising these sorts of due diligence queries including on the person themselves you know their own credibility do not take that just on the back of a website for example and i have seen people put seven figures behind a website that was basically a fraud so i i you know i've seen that um that's that's real world um but don't be that person you know um and position yourself to be taken seriously because again i kind of um you know, litigation, it's almost like, oh my goodness, we need to talk to solicitors, everything's gone wrong in my life, why, why am I here? And you know, again, if you're dealing with, say, more serious people, they will know that at some point, you know, if not regularly, they're going to come across circumstances where they need to invest in litigation and lawyers to basically um, try and protect them because of what is going on. And so they'll see it as just another investment decision. Um, but what I would always say, and again, just coming back to that point, um, positioning they're positioning themselves in that way at the very outset, and so, you know, if in other words, you're 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 sort of positioning yourself to be seen as a serious person. It's like uh, this is not a joke. I take it very seriously, and you know these are the, the issues that are important. This is the information I need to be able to make a decision with you. I'm really happy to go ahead. I really want to make this work. But th- these are my you know basic baseline um, sort of requests in in this transaction. Um, And all what you're actually communicating there is obviously not only the request for the information, but you're also communicating, which really helps me later on, that you are a serious person. You know what the risks are, that you're assessing all of that all the time. And therefore, what that's really communicating is, don't let's mess around. You know, let's, let's be transparent in our dealings and let's do this properly or let's not do it at all. And that is very helpful from a litigation perspective later. We're kind of getting into a little bit of psychology here, but it's, it's so important. You, know, you want an opponent to be thinking about their sleepless nights. You want them to be thinking that you are going to be pursuing them to the ends of the earth. And if you've started that process at the very outset by dealing with things thoroughly and robustly, you've already done half, half the work there. You know? um, whereas if you've been sort of moved yourself and say you've used their loan agreement rather than bringing your own, if you've not asked the difficult questions at the outset, then actually you've been positioning yourself as almost on the back foot as kind of reactive rather than a proactive, serious person. And I think this is something else that's just, it's subtle, but very important, particularly if and when things go wrong, you definitely want to be on the front foot and and seem to be all over there.
0: And I like that you said opponent, because I think in my limited experience of litigation with, you know, builders or just previous people and businesses, you know, someone can become, someone can go from your partner, your friend, your business partner and when money gets involved, especially when money gets involved, they can become your opponent pretty quickly in in many different elements and I think it's you know yeah. you don't you don't want to think about that do you? You don't want
1: talk about absolutely. it no no i you know look, i completely agree <laughs> obviously in my, in my world that that's completely normal language okay <laughs> everybody is an opponent um yeah. and, and so you know that that that's very much the ecosystem that i i sort of um, live and operate in but um yeah you're absolutely right and i think this, again it's I'm going to use a word. I'm almost nervous about using it myself. But, you know, it's like, it's your own mindset, isn't it? You know, you're thinking we are as one. We're at item together that, that you know, this is a deal for us, but actually you've got to be thinking about your own personal bottom line here. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are the rights and obligations of each party? How are they clarified? Where are they set out? Um, but where am I personally left in all of this? You know, and if you're left holding all of the PGs whilst they have no obligations because it might be say credit rates or whatever it is, you know, where does that sit in terms of the risk reward analysis here? Um, You know, and that again, it's just so easy to be, um, I suppose, just drawn into and, you know, not to take that step back and um, assess things more kind of in more substance, but yeah, absolutely. Anyone can become an opponent and, you know if you're seeking to get your end out you can bet your bottom dollar that other creditors other people are also trying to get their money out and so you've very much got to be positioning yourself and thinking in that sort of a way
0: mm, yeah and i mean have i know you know the details and everything will be confidential but have you got any mm. high level case studies or examples of cases you've worked on when you know when jv's go wrong anything interesting or high profile
1: Wow. I mean, okay, yeah, quite quite a few. Terj. obviously, you've mentioned the key word there, which is confidentiality. Um, I think when we talk about this again, just sort of rewinding back to the beginning, we're talking about different structures, so partnership disputes, um, LLPs, uh, shareholder um, sort of disputes, etc. So, you know, I've dealt with unpaid loans. I've dealt with unpaid loans running again into six, seven figures, relatively routinely. Um, circumstances where people are left effectively holding an asset that is a liability, it's not an asset, and or lending on that asset that they have PG'd and the money has, say, been pulled out via uh, use of development companies, etc. And so third-party companies are actually where the profit has been diverted to. I've dealt with situations with investors where um, they think they own an asset and actually the asset has been purchased by a completely different entity. I've dealt with situations where um, there's been an agreement much the same way as your own transaction. It sounds like without wanting to unnerve you, (laughs) but um, in an SPV and you know, that asset has then been unlawfully transferred from that SPV into another SPV without anyone even knowing. Um, And so, you know, the number and the range of disputes, these things can go wrong. And I think that's the thing to, to take away from this. It's not actually that unusual, you know, um, we sort of we see this increasingly you know common frankly um numbers of, of disputes um and it's all well and good you, know, you can massage over cracks when you're in say a rising market or um things are buoyant um but when you start to see the market kind of you know just questioning itself i wouldn't say slowing up i'm i'm not the man for that but you can just see that there's a degree of caution out there for very obvious reasons um doesn't take an awful lot for actually You know those cracks to start widening, Um, particularly if people are putting in a lot of time and they feel at the end of the transaction that that time is worth more than it's actually going to be worth in terms of money. You can just start to see these things creeping out. Um, So again, you know, if if it can go wrong, it may go wrong, and in the transactions that I deal with, it has gone wrong. Um, And you know, again, you, you sort of you'd be amazed as to the circumstances that I've dealt with, but. You know, the common denominators in joint ventures are really understand the people that you're dealing with. Try and get as much information as possible, because, again, in an awful lot of those circumstances, if people had known more about their their partner or their joint shareholder, et cetera, they might not have done the deal ever. So that's the first point. Um, and the second point is don't just go into these things without agreements. You know, don't go into them without having the advice, the independent advice on how to structure whatever it might be, your partnership, your LLP, your limited company, the property purchase, the lending, getting the money out. Because at any given stage, any of these risks, of which there, is, there are too many to cover in in a, in a kind of a podcast such as this, that there really are, um, you know, they, they can and do happen. And they could and you know, may happen to you. So what are you going to do? What are you going to bring to me if... The, the sort of the worst happens to try and help you get out of that whole question mark, and that that really is, I think, the crux to this. Um, to, to try and reduce the risk to anyone getting involved in a JV, especially.
0: Mm. And I mean, in your experience, generally, if you know the parties or a party has done their due diligence, they've got the right advice, got the right paperwork. You know, which is probably the central thing here. They've got the right agreements. You know generally speaking, you know, do they win the litigation? Like, is it, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, you know, if you do everything right, you know, is it not clean cut, but is it kind of stacked in your favour that when it comes to your role, Alex, that you will win?
1: Yeah. And again, I think what we can say with certainty is that the clearer, the cleaner the transaction elements are when you come to me, the clearer, the cleaner, the quicker, the cheaper, therefore, the advice that you can obtain on that and i can't say whether or not that advice will be positive or negative because you could enter into all of that stuff and say you know as i say that deals can go wrong in jvs you know they can go wrong in any circumstance and that's not unique to joint ventures okay um these are calculated risks that we're all taking to try and obtain a reward and i understand that and that is the commercial reality that is the investment if you like um but what we're trying to do here is pull this away from kind of gambling, kind of hoping that it will all be all right, kind of not, you know, the the knowledge that we don't have and just saying to ourselves, what can I be doing to improve my position if certain things happen? Now, you'll find that in doing that, yes, you absolutely improve your position in the event that certain negative things happen, you know? Um, And it might be, for example, that when you're getting the advice, the advisor, probably a solicitor, might be an accountant, but they say... Actually, if you thought about this, why don't you do that? And that is, you know, quite often will be the difference between, you know, a positive or a negative outcome, if you like. So it might be that just as an example, um, you consider, okay, well, I'm lending a six-figure sum. I want security. I want security against an asset. And that's going to be important to me. Or it might be, I want a PG. I want them to personally guarantee. Yes, I'm putting money into the SPV. That's fine. But I also want them to be personally guaranteeing that to me. I asked for their assets and details of their, their sort of means um, and they've given that to me. So I'm, I'm clear that my risk profile is okay in inverse comes, it still exists, but I'm happy to take those risks. And it just gives further opportunity for me to assist you as an investor. If and, you know, when things go wrong Um so again, I, I kind of that's an incredibly vague answer, but it's, it's quite a vague question in the sense that there are so many different transactions, it's really hard to say, but it, it's really about minimising, mitigating risk in, in terms of, particularly with money, you know, you, you want a degree of security um, so that you're not just a floating, unsecured creditor, um, a technical term, but an important one, um, just for, from an investment perspective.
0: Mm. And litigation, is it what, I guess it maybe it looks like on on the TV, is it expensive and does it last a long time?
1: Okay. So um, litigation, I think if we were to just think of this as problem solving, okay, you've got a problem and you've not received monies. You've not been treated properly. Someone's not done something. They agreed. You've always got to look at the cost benefit. And I, you know, cost obviously is a factor. I understand that. We all understand that. I would always say, Try and focus on value, okay, because as a real-world example, I have written and have sent one letter that has cost a client about £15,000, okay? And on a price basis, anyone looking at that would say, my goodness, how on earth do you justify that? That is ridiculous. (laughs) i tell you that that letter resulted in an outcome that was worth 3 400,000 pounds to my client and you think oh hang on a minute that's incredible that's amazing what a great result and i can tell you without it being a huge shop client is absolutely delighted by the way so a uh, sort of it completely just alters our way of thinking about this and so it, again it always kind of, it brings a wry smile cynically when someone asks what say an hourly rate is that you charge because you know the hourly rate is only one part of that um, dynamic, the other part being how many hours will it take? Obviously, and what you really want to know is what's the value in that work. So, does it incur cost? Yes. It, it, is it valuable? Well, you know, again, you need to weigh that up in terms of the cost benefit analysis. Um, but people who, you know, IBM, Apple, Google, people who are experienced in commercial sort of transactions, they don't hesitate to instruct uh, uh, sort of lawyers like me, including me. And the reason for that is that they just see it as another investment. You know, we are also under pressure to deliver value and a return on that investment. So I I kind of, I see the cost, and obviously you have to be able to afford it, which is a factor. Um, But, you know, it wouldn't, if it didn't stack up, people wouldn't do it. Um, And, uh, you know, again, I can't make sort of false promise, but there are circumstances, there are examples where you think, wow, that's an amazing result, frankly, that we've achieved for somebody. And it's simply because they've backed us to, assist them in whatever it is we're doing for them that they would never have been able to obtain themselves you know that fifteen man letter is one example um so i I kind of yeah i hope that answers the question You, you do need to look at value not just price but it does cost money and this is you know that can be mighty painful where you're already feeling pain from whatever it might be not working out um and you know again i'm not immune to that i I see that and i really deeply understand it but but what's your alternative you know you write it off and that is your alternative and for some people that will be their choice and for others they'll be prepared to make the investment to try and actually obtain a return on that investment which is obviously what everyone hopes to achieve
0: yeah and i think it's the principle as well i mean you know a lot of people you know, I guess I'm talking sort of smaller disputes, but like things with builders or tenants or they come oh, you know, it's fine. I'll I'll let them off. You know, yeah, they they ruined my whole refurb, but you know what? I'll oh, let them off. And I get that and I get the mindset behind it and I get, you know, the cost is, is not going to cost as much if you're doing the small claims track and things like that. But I think principally, I just personally feel so strongly that I will do it like because of the principle and because, you know, if I can ruin your credit if i can and this is the opponent thing if i can put a ccj on you for the next x many years for something you did wrong and didn't do right you know like after obviously good faith and all that kind of happy dappy chat in the beginning i'm doing it i don't know
1: Like, well, Like again I think there's a couple of angles on this aren't there you know on the one hand what you're really doing there you're positioning yourself in exactly the same way as I, I sort of explained earlier which is along the lines of you know be seen to be taking seriously and taken seriously and not someone to be messed around and so there's value in that sense I, I would always say you know you mentioned quite a dangerous word there principle and I think there's probably a curve on this which is you know depending on your own position including your assets your means etc because litigating on a point of principle including incurring costs with say someone like me um or or our firm you know that is something i would actively discourage believe it or not um what i'm interested in is the financial benefit and the return on your investment in in incurring costs and if i can't generate a return on that investment or then, then I'll have that conversation with you transparently. And it's that transparency that I think is important, particularly with solicitors costs um, or any costs. In terms of a point of principle, yeah, I mean, I definitely see that as a, a the, the kind of smaller dispute end, if you like the small claims. Um, end. And I think that's right. And that when I talk about the curve, I also see that at the kind of ultra high net worth um end um you know your kind of celebrities litigating over this that and the other or equally your high net worth um sort of parties litigating they will say look you know here's a six-figure budget and off we go and you know i really want to make a point here um and that's that's a different world really that's not the world most of us occupy and although we might aspire to one day occupy it but you know whatever that means um to you whereas i think for most people you really do need to make sure that there is a value for you in it and that's not an emotional purchase that's a rational commercial purchase that's how i would encourage us all to think about um litigation and if it doesn't stack up then don't do it and don't be persuaded to do it by any solicitor or anybody else for that matter you know it's it's got to stack up commercially or or don't do it and don't be kind of misled it it, it sort of um the reason people litigate is that they can obtain better outcomes than if they don't and that's why they litigate it's not because they like spending money on lawyers like me
0: mm. yeah that, that's a good point and i think you know i can see that you know if i was talking at the kind of level where there would be a you know a litigation solicitor's fees then yeah principle would be different but yeah at that kind of smaller level i think it yeah, it's one of those things where they, you, well, depends what we're talking about, but at least from what I'm it's doing.
1: Ted, yeah. so that's I think it's different, isn't it? You know, I, yeah. the amounts and an M. coal claim, yeah, fine. Um, I, I see that. And you're doing other landlords' favour. The cost is very modest. Yeah, I, I totally see that. Whereas when you start getting into kind of niggly sums, don't want to do it yourself, there's a degree of risk on what i known as adverse costs. I, you know, get it wrong, might have to pay the opponent's costs, heaven forbid. Um, then, yeah, I think you have to start thinking in you know, it about these things much more kind of commercially minded than than on the emotional side. And yet, again, transparently, I know, I see that it is emotion that drives litigation um, you know, quite often. And so, again, I see it as part of my job to take the emotion out of it, take the step back, take the heat out of it. What are we actually trying to achieve here? And, again, almost full circle to the beginning, you know, we're really focused on money and property, and they're really the the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Um, for people it, you know i can't guarantee or promise to deliver an emotionally satisfying win in inverse commerce, or you know an amazing day in court as it were you know that <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the romantic end of the spectrum kind of you know we might have all seen suits and thought this is a really sexy day today and yeah i look at it and i think harvey great guy deal maker in inverse commerce, never does any work and never <laughs> see a computer you know and it's like Yeah, we've just got to be, again, transparent about
0: that. Mm. And, you know, briefly, let's talk about, I suppose, where we are in the world right now, which is November the 2nd, we're recording this 2020. We are, Wales is in a a sort of super lockdown already, coming out of it not too soon, not too far away. England is about to go into a kind of lockdown version two, pretty much, well, it feels like, Similar restrictions to before. Gyms are closed. So obviously, I'm, I'm very upset by that. Um, what, you know, from, from your perspective in terms of litigation, joint ventures, you know, how are you feeling about lockdown round two? And do you think we're going to you're going to see some new
1: challenges or some,
0: I don't know, ugly heads rear up again?
1: Um, good questions. I think there's obviously a lot of unknown at the moment. And you know, that applies to my world just as it applies to any other kind of business, commercial world at the moment. And so we have to be flexible in our thinking on this. But you know, courts, the process may change, etc. What has been consistent throughout, and I think will continue, is access to justice. Okay. Um, kind of we're in the realms of human rights, dare I even start thinking about that, but um human rights and you know the reality is the courts won't close for that reason alone you know we've already had it confirmed that the courts will be remaining open and so access to justice you will absolutely be entitled to take steps to improve your position and I I don't put it any higher than that you know that is um, the current position which will remain so that's on the one side of it we know that the the courts will remain open Um, but just slightly sort of more generally I guess where do I see things well you know, the economy, the economy, I mean, I'm, I'm no commentator on the economy, but we can see that there are lots of factors that might make, say, loan defaults increase. We can see that there are factors that, particularly in the real economy, might have an impact on asset values. That may have an impact on things like an ability to refinance, to pull money out, and that those aspects, those exits might have been relied on. So I think generally the sort of common thinking is that, particularly um, in say a, a sort of a flat or a, a difficult economy, if I put it like that, litigation increases. The number of disputes increase um, because people default; they don't do what they said or promised they would do, or they can't. And so I we expect the number of disputes to increase, and we kind of already start to see this. Okay, we we see that the number of just inquiries and types of inquiries, et cetera, um, materially change and, as I say, increase. And so I think there will be more of that. Um, I also think, it, you know, particularly to date, if you like, there's actually been quite a degree of patience, I think, amongst most people. You know, nobody really wants to be focused on taking someone to court right now. They're, they're, they're much more interested in, oh, i got any toilet roll or whatever it might be. And so I think that that's all been kind of, you know, um, uh, there's, there's been a lot of delay this kind of pent up sort of patience if you like but at some point it, almost like a stretching elastic band I can see that that will patience will wear out or an ability to be patient will um sort of expire or or, or run out as I say um, and I think that will you know gain as a creditor if you like or as an investor with a problem you don't want to be the last person to be pursuing recovery that is not in your interests because you know it quite, could be quite literally a race to assets um, and to monies. And so this all kind of ties in with the positioning that I was talking about. I, I wouldn't encourage anyone to um, sort of delay delay um, unless you have very clear commercial benefit for delaying and your position is as protected as it possibly could be. Because otherwise, you know, in a worsening economy in lots of different ways, you, you could be left um. As the kind of last man standing, which is not much fun. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, so it, it's sobering, isn't it? I, I just kind of... I, again, I'm not trying to be the, the kind of um, having your doom here. It's not. That's that's really not what it's about. It's much more about kind of um, yeah, just trying to be real and transparent. And I think um, it, it's really easy to think, oh well, this won't happen to me. And then when it does happen to you, to not acknowledge that it's happened to you, um, and that's not really where I want anyone to be.
0: Hmm. No, it is sobering. But I think, you know, I know I believe we have to have these conversations you know, we have to share this with the listeners. We have to talk about these things because it will happen at some point in some shape or form. So, you know, the earlier we can have it and like you said, the earlier we can protect ourselves, you know, the, the better it is for everyone. So, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'll put all your contact details in the show notes. But what is the best way for people to get hold of you?
1: Um, Tej firstly thanks for having me great to be here great to talk to you and um, yeah by far and the way the best way via email um, and yeah as I say I'll, I'll pop my email over to you I know you have it already just for, for anyone um, really happy to kind of build relationships with people and yeah that's what we're really about amazing cool thanks so much Alex not at all thanks Tej.
0: if you like this podcast connect with Tej on Facebook LinkedIn and YouTube for more great content